loving and gracious God, we would like to settle into a nice, comfortable routine in which we don't have to do much of anything, just sit back and relax. We are tired and wonder if we have anything left to give of our talents, our spirits, our lives. So the story of the disciples hiding in the upper room is not uncomfortable for us. We want to hide too, but, but you have come to us in your resurrection love. We know about the, the prints of the nails in your hands and feet. We know about the wound in your side. We have been with you on the seashore through scripture and our imagination, but we still quiver with fear and uncertainty. Send your Holy Spirit upon us today. Let the rushing wind of your spirit stir us up to action for good and healing. Let the flame of your power ignite our hearts with passion for justice and peace. Take us and use our gifts and our talents for healing in your world. Help us to be bold in our proclamation of your great good news of love and hope. In the name of Christ, we pray. of scripture this morning comes from the Acts of the Apostles. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. 
Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every people under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, they are not drunk, as you would suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved.
back in deep Jesus central Texas, <laughs> we were pretty sure Jesus was Baptist. <clears throat> After all, he was baptized as in immersed by John the Baptist. Thank you. <laughs> Which is why several Baptist church front signs read, First Baptist Church founded A.D. 33. What more evidence did we need? It's in the name. Although, we weren't sure what to do with the Nazarene Church. Since the Bible does say Jesus was the Nazarene or from Nazareth. Mostly, we just didn't talk about that. <laughs> what we were more sure of is what Jesus was not. Certainly not Episcopal, wine for communion, you know, <laughs> or Presbyterian, too much hierarchy, or Methodist, see Presbyterian, <laughs> or Lutheran, named after someone not in the Bible, or Catholic, too much ornamentation. Or disciples of Christ, no need for communion every Sunday. What we were most sure of is that Jesus was not Pentecostal. That was one point of agreement with the Episcopal, Presbyterian, Methodist, Lutheran, Catholic, disciple churches. There was no way Jesus was Pentecostal at least as defined by the mainline Protestant and Catholic Church. Frenzied worship, bordering on hysteria, speaking in tongues, loud, chaotic music, emotionalism, being seized by the Spirit. It was all so different and suspect from our perspective. Consequently, Pentecost was not even mentioned in the Baptist Church. It held no sway among the high holy days of Easter Sunday, Mother's Day, and Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> the word spirit, if mentioned at all, was generally confined to the effectiveness of the preacher and or the sermon. Oh, that preacher, he had it going today, was really inspired which was as close as we would come to acknowledging the presence of the Spirit. Although we did sing the doxology, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost, but we had no idea what to make of the Holy Ghost. The choir might sing an inspiring anthem, but spirituals were confined to a particular worship style. We were, of course, mistaken in our biases. Mistaken to think that the Spirit of God could be in any way confined, consigned, contained, or controlled. We appreciated Jesus saying that the wind blows where it will, but in practice, that wind was funneled in a rather narrow channel. Mistaken or ill-informed, or maybe afraid, because at some level we knew how the wind could stir up and rearrange the landscape, and so we thought of it mostly as destructive and to be avoided rather than disruptive and to be considered. 
we had confused Pentecost with Pentecostalism. Or another way to say it is big P Pentecost with little p Pentecost, which is what the story from Acts is telling. Not the establishment of a particular denomination, nor only the birthday of the church, but instead the proclamation of a presence. For Luke especially, who is the author of the gospel so named and the sequel called Acts, very little happens absent the Spirit of God, which, like the wind itself, has a way of blowing across all kinds of people in all kinds of places. The Spirit of God fills a stunning menagerie of people, like Zechariah, Elizabeth, Mary, John, Simeon, Anna. And when Jesus talks of prayer in Luke's gospel, he says what is promised is not necessarily the answer to our prayers, but instead the presence of God's Spirit. And at the end of the gospel and at the beginning of Acts, the Spirit of God kindles the two on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus promises to the remaining disciples that God's Spirit would come to them after he is gone as they receive the Holy Spirit that empowers them to proclaim the good news of God's presence and Christ's love in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. No confining, consigning, containing, controlling. Luke is saying, Pentecost is God's great egalitarian day in which all disciples are inspired to continue the work Jesus started. Which is what Jesus said would happen. That we would, inspired by God's spirit, do what Jesus did, and even more, which is a staggering thought. So with that perspective, we think of this day validating Jesus' promise of his presence, making all of us gathered here Pentecostal, as in little p Pentecost. Because the wind of God blows wherever it will, on whoever it will. Now, to be sure, we recognize the mystery of that day as told in the second chapter of Acts. We would neither explain nor explain away the wind comes sweeping through the plain of their lives, nor the fiery light that settled on every one of them there, giving them inspired abilities to be and to do what they might have otherwise thought was impossible. In this particular scene, the presence of God's Spirit inspires communication, understanding, connection, listening. Which all these years later is perhaps the Spirit-filled grace we need more than anything. So we ponder the wonder of it all 
as we notice some of the details in the story. Luke wants us to know who is there. Greg Gary writes, filled with the spirit, men and women proclaim the gospel in Aramaic, but Jews from every nation under heaven hear the message in their own language. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. None of this is necessary to say, writes Gary, except that the pleasure of visualizing this diverse crowd hearing the gospel reinforces the power of the miracle. So Luke wants us to know that God's presence neither erases difference nor mandates uniformity. James Howell notes, there's understanding at Pentecost, not sameness. It's not that everyone suddenly spoke Greek or Aramaic and certainly not Latin, the language of the empire. They kept their own tongues and stories. God clearly delights in diversity and understanding. God breaks everybody open so they can be a radical, new, welcoming, fully engaged community. Notice, it was no grand strategy on the disciples' part. God just did this. It was uncontrollable like the wind with immense, if unseen, power. And historian Mark Knoll wrote of this story. The gospel comes to each person and to all peoples exactly where they are. You do not have to stop being American, Japanese, German, or Terra del Fuegan in order to become Christian. Instead, they all find rich resources in Christianity that are perfectly fitted for their own cultural situations. Christianity is by its nature a religion of nearly infinite flexibility because it has been revealed in a person of absolutely infinite love. Well, we did not have this perspective of Pentecost in deep Jesus Central Texas. Which is not so much a criticism as it is a recognition. That as Frederick Faber wrote in his wonderful hymn, for the love of God is broader than the measure of our mind. And that's precisely why we need Pentecost. The best part of the story, however, and without a doubt, the humorous interlude comes immediately after someone in the crowd is heard to ask about the events of that day. What does this mean? And there were a few who were ready with an immediate interpretation, and it was not flattering. Uh, they must be drunk. To which 
Peter gives the worst defense against that charge by saying, it's too early in the day to be three sheets to the wind. <laughs> Fortunately, Peter's sermon picks up from that inauspicious beginning. Some might even say he was inspired, especially given his reluctance to speak up for Jesus just a few weeks earlier. It's a reminder that the Spirit of God, like the wind, keeps blowing. What does this mean? Someone asked then, and with courage and hope, we ask that same question all these years later, offering a few, but certainly not a complete response to the question. Luke wants us to know, and Peter says it very well in his sermon, that all are called, all are imbued with God's gracious spirit. And in case we aren't sure what all means, Peter says that includes sons and daughters, young and old, slaves and free, men and women, God's spirit poured out on all flesh, which suggests that the quickest way to run afoul of God is to confine, consign, contain, control God's spirit, as if we actually could. Although there are certainly churches and religions that try to. We note in Peter's sermon that he is not making up something new, but is reciting something old from the prophet Joel, who proclaims God's spirit will be in all and for all. We also notice the opening line in the story. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. How meaningful that opening line is after two years plus of being separated because of COVID-19, made even more meaningful as we recognize the import of coming together is not to become insular and protective, but to become courageous and generous. So the presence of God's spirit may begin with Jesus coming into our hearts but it always moves us away from self-focus toward community, away from individualism toward a greater good, away from walls toward bridges, away from one dominant voice that silences toward other voices that can be heard away from social networks of ideological loyalty toward foundations of care, nurture, justice, and communion, away from resignation and despair toward newness and hope. And we note this, that the spirit of Pentecost is about word and deed. To be witness to God's abiding spirit is to pick up with our good work where Jesus left off 
with his good work. One of our ancient church patriarchs, Tertullian, wrote, It is our care of the helpless, our practice of loving kindness, that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. Only look, they say, look how they love one another. So how right and good it is today that we are commissioning 38 of our spirited, loved-filled disciples who will be serving on mission. You are a fine bunch of Pentecostals. <laughs> Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, visitors from Rome, Baptists, Episcopalians, Presbyterian, Methodists, Lutherans, Catholics, disciples, others who may not identify with any of these or who identify other than these, Peter said, all flesh. Pentecost blows in and we learn God is on the move stirring up life. And so we would be courageous enough to ask, what does this mean? 